0: Okay, this morning, many, many, or at least several folks afterwards had thoughts from various passages in the scriptures about uh, this statement of our Lord in John uh, 12, 31b, Now the ruler of this world shall be cast out. What I did this morning was to try to put it in relation to Genesis 3.15. As I was doing that, I told you that if you go to the other side of the Gospel of John, not before it, but after it, you can hear Paul call Satan the god of this world. Uh, he's the prince of the power of the air, who now works in the sons of disobedience. That's 2 Corinthians 4 and Ephesians chapter 2. There are other texts that side of John 12 that we're going to go to as well, but I wanted to turn this uh, at this point to Matthew, excuse me, Mark, chapter three. A very interesting words here. These were brought up to me during the break as well. Matthew, excuse me, Mark, chapter three, and let's read from verse 20 to 27. Then the multitude came together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of the demons, he casts out demons." So he called them to himself and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. See, any relationship with whatever that means and whatever John twelve thirty one b means, I think there is here. Here we have this strong man language, stronger than Satan, plundering his house, the God of this world, his house would be the world, the Son of God incarnate is a plunderer, he's coming in and he's taking over basically. How about um, the other text was um, the torment before the time, I forgot to write it down, I have it here, is it Matthew eight twenty nine? And they cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? That's Matthew chapter 8. Let me see if I can turn over there. Matthew chapter 8, um, 29. Uh, very interesting that uh, verse 28 when he had come to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? I made mention of that after my wife texted it to me. First time in 30-some years that she's texted me a text during a, a scripture text during a sermon. The older I get, the more you might have to do it, honey. But isn't that fascinating? Demons, somehow these fallen angels are now cronies of the crafty one, the crafty one's cronies, they knew there's a point in time where they're going to be tormented by the Son of God. And they're saying, you know, you're breaking the rules. It's premature. You can't do that. Fascinating. There are other other things. I saw Satan falling like lightning. Who said that? Jesus. Jesus said that during, during his earthly ministry. I saw Satan falling like lightning. By the way, we're going to look at these texts as we, when I come back in a few weeks, and, and other texts too, because because I do want my people on the one hand to recognize Satan exists. On the other hand, I want them to recognize he's not God, and he's our defeated enemy. He's on a chain, and God jerks him back when he's He's done what God's going to permit him to do. Okay, he is, but he's not God, and he is defeated. How about some other language? Look over. Look over at Colossians chapter two. This is an interesting text. I preached through it in the early '90s. Some of you endured those sermons. Sorry. Colossians chapter two, verse thirteen to fifteen. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven uh, you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, here it is, having nailed it to the cross, so now we're talking about the cross. Now watch this. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of, of them, triumphing over them in it. What does that mean? Somehow, some way connected to the cross is this triumphing over principalities and powers, evil spirits. Uh, How about First Peter? Chapter three, verse twenty one. There is also an anti type which now saves us baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. that's an odd one as well. Somehow, some way, related to the resurrection, and I would say related to the death as well of Christ, somehow, some way, the death of Christ gives Christ authority over angels, principalities, and powers we going to have to sort that one out when we get there. Here's the last text. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. And yes, I read John Owen on this passage this week, so I was busy because he writes a lot on every passage in Hebrews. You know John Owen has a seven-volume set on the book of Hebrews? Two volumes are just introduction. And then five volumes, each about 400 pages, on the exposition of the book of Hebrews. It's a... It's the largest exposition of the book of Hebrews ever. Anyway, Hebrews chapter 2, 14. In as much then, I'm not answering all the questions. I'm just bringing up these texts right now to get us thinking this way. In as much then, as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, here it is, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So here we have, somehow, some way connected to the death of Christ is the destruction of him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and the ability to release those who who through fear of death were in bondage to it all their lives. Bondage to the fear of death. Somehow, somewhat, the way that's connected to the death of Christ, just how the mechanics of all that work out, we shall see. So that is just a a flavoring of some things we'll have to look at in the future. The more you know your Bible, the the more you can probably bring up more texts. There are other texts in the Old Testament as well. But this is a monumental statement by our Lord. Things are going to change, basically. There was this providential uh, permission that the devil had prior to the cross of Christ that he no longer has. Now, some throughout history have said, all you have to do is look at what happened in the ancient world. In one generation, after the crucifixion, what happened? The gospel penetrated Europe, ancient Rome, right? Within 300 years, the the Roman emperor was a Christian, at least in word. The world was, in quotes... Christianized the ancient world. Christianity grew relatively fast without texting and Twitter and Facebook and jets and bicycles, right? Did they even have bicycles back then? They had wagons or something, I'm sure. Travel was difficult. Communicating was verbal, personal, no phones, And yet, this incarnate, dead, having been dead, yet risen, an exalted one, um, turned idolaters into worshipers of the triune God relatively quickly in that part of the world. And, And like I said this morning, the ripple effect is still with us every day, so... I think there's a lot of reasons to to sing and be thankful and to ask the Lord his blessings on the supper. So I will do that. I will pray. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for your, your word. We thank you for this text in John. We thank you for all the other texts that shed light on it and, John, its light on them. We thank you for the ability to synthesize, to put together these texts and and Not to have all the answers, but certainly to have a bunch of questions, have some of the answers, and to marvel at the wisdom of God in this. We're thankful for the death of Christ and what it is for us. It's our only hope. We ask your blessings on the supper, on the singing. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.